0: You know what? It's really fun to be here. Y'all know that theme music. <giraffe sounds> <laughs> <laughs> <trules> <speaking> <speaking> Pierce. Very easy. Tatum drives down and throws it down. This is my MC's a ticket. you kidding me? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode number 64 of the Banner Banter Podcast. I'm your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. How we doing? Hope you had a great weekend. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. And if you are listening on Spotify and iTunes, don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Thanks so much. How was everyone's week? Hopefully it was better than the Boston Celtics week. The Celtics go one and three this past week, even though they probably should have gone three and one or four and zero. But <laughs> we'll get into all of that because I am, I am fired up over this past week at the Boston Celtics have. They lose to the Wizards on the road, ninety nine to ninety four. Then they lose at TD Garden to the San Antonio Spurs, one twenty nine to one fourteen. Then they lose on the road to the Philadelphia seventy six ers and also lose the season series to the Philadelphia seventy six ers, one oh nine to ninety eight. And then they beat. The New Orleans Pelicans, who were on their second night of the back-to-back, 140-105, to without Zion Williamson, without J.J. Reddick, without Drew Holiday, without Derek Favors, and I think that was it. (sighs) The Celtics are currently in second or third in the Eastern Conference. I think the Heat lost last night, so I'm really not sure about that. Maybe I'll check. Hold on. We'll check real quick. I don't know if they're at. Yes, so they are tied for second right now with the Miami Heat because the Miami Heat lost. And right now the Celtics own the tiebreaker with the Miami Heat. So they are currently the two seed right now facing Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets who are currently the seventh seed. What a world. Anyways, the Celtics are two games ahead of the Raptors and two and a half games above the 76ers in the Atlantic Division. I am do not want to recap three out of the four games this week, but this is my responsibility. I was going to say this is my job, but I don't get paid to do this. This is really more like therapy for me, and it's the perfect definition of why it is therapy for me after three out of the four games this week. So let's just start off by just not showing up versus the Wizards. Let's just say, eh, who cares about Washington, D.C.? Who cares about the Wizards? And one thing that is really kind of annoying me about I don't want to. I love NBC Sports Boston. I love you know Max and Mike and Tommy and Forsberg and Chris Mannix when he's on and Scal. Abby Chin's great. You know the list goes on and on and on. But I they got to stop talking about Isaiah Thomas. It's been like three years, and you know share a little bias against the you know Mister No Thank You himself Isaiah Thomas. But like. I don't need to hear about Isaiah Thomas missing the Celtics, the teammates missing the Celtics, all the time. It was a great story when it happened. Just stop talking about it, for the love of God, seriously. But this loss against the Celtics, uh, against the Wizards, I feel like it was just your classic mid-season schedule NBA loss where everyone is just like, blah, whatever. It happens. We lose. We move on. And I understand that Kemba wasn't playing in the game because he was sick. But the Wizards didn't have Bradley Beal, Hachimura, uh, Thomas Bryant. He's going to be out for a while. C.J. Miles or Bertans. So they weren't playing for them either. So they were literally playing like, I don't want to say a G League team, but a beyond below average NBA team. But you cannot come out and only drop 17 points overall in the first quarter. The overall team during this game, in the first seven minutes, the only person who scored was Jalen Brown. That's terrible. That's terrible for Marcus Smart. That's terrible for Jason Tatum. That's terrible for Gordon Hayward. That's terrible for Daniel Tice. It, it, it really and it truly is. And I know it was their third game in four nights, but you still have a lot of young guys, so they still should be juiced, ready to play. And to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, both teams sucked. They really did. But you can't let the Wizards go on a 12-4 run to close out the first quarter. The Celtics I feel like have been closing out quarters very well lately, which is obviously a great sign because it gives you momentum going whether it's into the fourth quarter, the second quarter, halftime, whatever the case may be. They've been doing a great job with that. But with that being said, they also have some some lapses where they let teams go on some big runs, you know, look at we'll talk about the 76ers game coming up. They did it with the Hornets, they did it with the Hawks you know, recently, where they just let these teams go on these, like, bizarre, like, 11-0 runs with, like, the final two minutes left, but the Celtics also do that as well, and I feel like they've been doing that more than giving up the bad runs, so that's good. But as terrible as the first quarter was, I was even more angry with the way the second quarter went because the Celtics just seemed confused because Ish Smith, yes, that's his name, Ish, you know, like, I'm going to be there around 3.30-ish, yeah, that guy, Ish Smith, he dropped 11 points of 5 of 6 shooting with 3 assists and then thankfully Marcus Smart was hitting some threes which is never good because you can't we can't re- oh my god we can't rely on Marcus Smart's three point shooting but this entire past week if Marcus Smart's three point shooting this past week didn't keep the Celtics somewhat in some of these games i feel like the Celtics would have lost each each of these games the way that they the way that the Pelicans lost to the Celtics this past Saturday night at Tita Garden. It was absolutely ridiculous. But Smith, no one could guard him. Wanamaker, Smart, Brown, who, whoever was out there. They, the dude just went off. And it was so annoying to watch. Overall, in this game, Tatum, Hayward, and Brown, they took 53 shots together. So you're like, okay, that's what I like to see. But they only made 19. And I understand people have bad games. I, I I get it. Everyone has a little hiccup in the NBA. But for all three of those guys to suck in the same game was just depressing. It really and truly was. It was not ideal in any way, shape, or form, especially since there was really no ball movement in this game. Like If you look at the ball movement against the Pelicans and then you look at the ball movement against the Wizards, it's... An, night and day, or day and night, like it's a Kid Cudi song, you know, and it was a lot of iso ball, and it was just really annoying, and that's not how the Celtics play, and that's not how the Celtics have been playing this year, you know, and then in the third quarter, classic Celtics, you know, they fought back in the third quarter, they went on a big run, then in the fourth quarter, Isch Smith decided to go off again and drop 13 points, I think overall he scored 27 points in the game, 11 of them in the second quarter, 13 of them in the fourth quarter, so that means you only had three points total in the first and third quarter, so like, what the hell, but the Celtics did have a chance to take over this game, they did get it down to tie it up at 80 apiece, and then they just missed shot after shot after shot after shot, and it was just so frustrating that like they worked so hard to get it back to tie it up at 80 and then they just sucked, but one positive about this was Tremont Waters had a really nice game off the bench. He's improved so much. He was really good in the summer league. You watch a couple of the G League games up in Maine that's on NBC Sports Boston, which I've actually really enjoyed watching some of those G League games. I, you know, you really never have access to it. You have to watch it maybe on M- on NBA TV if you're lucky, or you have to watch it on like a Reddit stream. But I love how NBC Sports Boston is producing providing if that yeah providing is the better word main red claws games and Tremont Waters has been great for them he's been great for the Celtics whenever he showed up he had a really nice game I know he only had like eight points I think he was like a plus seven something along those lines and I just enjoyed watching him he has some great moves he doesn't he doesn't like fear attacking the basket and he is like I kind of want to say smaller than IT. You know, I hate to bring back up Isaiah Thomas, but it's just a good example of how small he is. And he is fearless, absolutely fearless. And I loved watching him play in this game. So I was like, maybe they should have just played Tremont Waters longer and it would have been nice. But so there was your, your recap about the Wizards game. And now we can kind of go into the Spurs game. And you can say to yourself, all right, Campbell Walker, he's back. He was on a minute restriction. Let me repeat that because I I think that is really important because I think a lot of people who were frustrated with the Spurs loss forget the fact that Kemba Walker was on a minute restriction, so he was going to be playing a lot in the fourth quarter. The Celtics are pretty good with that. Brad's pretty good with that, following those minute restrictions for those guys. And I never thought in a million years that the Celtics could come out and play a worse first quarter than they did against the Wizards, against the Spurs, and guess what? It happened. They were so bad. They opened up the game 1 of 9 from the field. And for those of you at home who can't do math, that is 11%. The Spurs were up 14-3 to at one point and eventually got to 26-7 to in the first quarter. They were down 19 points in... in just in the first quarter. And then, you know, classic Brad. He calls a timeout. Then the Celtics went on a little bit of a run. They got it down to 12. And you're like, ooh, okay, 12 points. I kept saying to myself, just give me eight by halftime. I kept saying to myself, if you can give me eight by halftime. This is a game where a good third quarter team, we could, and then maybe we could tie it up by the end of the third quarter. And then let's, let's see who's the better team in the fourth. But once again... During this run, the Celtics relied on Marcus Smart's three-point shooting. Marcus Smart's three-point shooting was very good this week. Is it stud and dud of the week worthy? You're going to have to wait and find out. But relying on Marcus Smart's three-point shooting really worries me because he can just jack him up at the most random times. He can jack him up at the most uncomfortable times, and he can jack them up at the most stupid times as well. But he had eight points. During this little run where the Celtics, you know, cut down the lead a little bit. And then next thing you know, Brad was like, all right, we need some energy. We need to get the crowd back into this because there were some people booing at TD Garden and the Celtics kind of deserved it. They were not playing very well in any single way, shape or form. So Brad brought in Taco Fall and Taco played like meaningful minutes. He played, I think, four minutes in the second quarter. I think he was a plus one. I mean, it wasn't anything crazy, but if he was a plus one, that means he did bring some positivity to the team. But the Celtics just couldn't miss shots. They couldn't stop DeRozan, and that was the thing. With DeRozan, every single time he starts dribbling with his left hand towards the elbow, you know he – like, I could be like, all right, he's going to pull three. Two, one, he pulls, and then the Celtics are just giving him space. That's where DeMar DeRozan's made his entire career. Right at the elbow, elbow jumper. I don't want to say like Paul Pierce like, but like, you know, Paul Pierce got a lot of his shots from that elbow jumper, and DeMar DeRozan is literally doing the same thing. So here we are. How about we forget about how bad the Celtics were in the first half, and then let's pretend they come out and play great in the third quarter that's what i was trying to tell myself at halftime like they got this they're gonna cut down the lead it's gonna be great and then what do you know they come out and play a great 75 percent of the third quarter because i don't i don't understand how the celtics can always come out Guns a in the third quarter, but not in the first quarter. So, like, whatever happens during halftime, how about we just kind of switch that over to pregame and everything will be perfect. I really and truly believe that. They, they got it down to seven points. The crowd was pumped. The place was rockin'. And then LaMarcus Aldridge set a screen on Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker fell to the ground. Here's my issue with everything about that whole scenario kemba obviously got up swore at the ref he deserved the first technical foul i think we can all agree with that whether you think kemba should have been tossed or not he deserved that first technical foul the ref was a little too quick with his whistle to toss him that's fair and brad also got a technical and he was also swearing at the ref too that's also fair so, I agree. Should Kemba have been tossed? No. Was Kemba on a minute restriction? Yes. So, was Kemba going to be playing much longer? No. So, Lamarcus well, Marcus Aldrich's screen, I thought his feet were fine. It was just the way that he extended his arms. And it was a good screen. Like, a good, classic, 80s NBA screen. And we know that these days physical play in the nba doesn't exist it's like a flagrant or whatever i thought kemba flopped a little bit like kemba went down like a ton of bricks and i know kemba is a lot stronger than that but hey you gotta sell it i'm sure marcus smart has taught him a few things on how to sell it and it didn't work and i understand why kemba was upset and you can say at this time the celtics were feeling themselves the crowd was into it you they were like if you, Kemba played another three or four minutes to end that third quarter, the Celtics were going to tie that game up. If you want to believe that, that's fine. I understand where you're coming from. But right after Kemba got tossed, the Spurs went on a 16-3 to run. The team should have come together like they did when Kemba got hurt back in Denver and not back down. That should have fired them up. They should have fired the crowd up. And I understand that one piece of shit that was up in the balcony who threw a Truly can onto the court because he was so upset that Kemba got tossed. That was embarrassing. And I, I don't know if you're allowed to listen to podcasts while you're in jail, but I hope this guy's listening, and fuck you, dude. Like, you are an embarrassment to Boston fans everywhere. And you are also drinking a Truly. How do you tell your dudes, your bros, that you got arrested for throwing a seltzer into the crowd? What a joke. Anyways, let me get back to this. The Celtics allow a 16-3 to run after Kemba goes out. So th- to me, this loss has nothing to do with the refs. Nothing. The Celtics couldn't make shots. They couldn't play defense. The Celtics actually had less fouls called on them than the Spurs did. Did this specific ref make a mistake by tossing Kemba out? Sure. Was Kemba not going to come back most likely in the fourth quarter? Either way, yes. So, you can't blame the refs on this one. I understand there are some really bad officiating lately, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. Replay has ruined a lot of that. We could go on and on and on and on. The Celtics sucked in this game. Hayward played pretty well. Brown was nowhere to be found. Tatum was nowhere to be found. But sure, let's blame the refs. Let's do that. I I just... I I get so angry when people blame the refs because like did you see that the Celtics started off twenty-six to seven? Like they were losing twenty-six to seven, but we're gonna blame the refs because they tossed out Kemba. Like, come on. I mean Jason Tatum was five of sixteen, Jalen Brown was five of fourteen. Like c- come on. Seriously? And it, obviously if it wasn't for garbage time, I think the bench would have been scoring. You know, the the bench guys, you know, had 7 and 4 and 9 and 5, you know, like, where was Cantor? Cantor didn't have that great of a game, I don't think. I mean, he had 2 points and 7 rebounds. So, where the hell was Cantor in this game? But, sure, let's, let's blame the refs and not the fact that, you know, the Celtics had 15 turnovers and... They got out-rebounded and they had less assists and they had less seals, and the Spurs had six blocks. And we could go on and on about so many things that the Spurs did well. The Spurs, every single time the Celtics came, you know, got punched in the mouth by the Celtics, when the Celtics would go on the run, they'd punch right back. Something that you wish the Celtics could do sometimes, you know, like they did, like you wish they did in the 76ers game. 76ers game, the 76ers punched him in the face a couple times and the Celtics fell and they didn't get up and punch back, which sucked. So let's get in to a a place where we're even more angry, and that's with the loss of the Philadelphia 76ers. No Joel Embiid for the Philadelphia 76ers in this game. He's going to be out for a while with a pretty disgusting finger injury. And, yes, I understand the Celtics were on the second night of a back-to-back, and you could say they were playing their, what, their fifth game in a week, and excuses, excuses, excuses. I get all that. So you figure with Joel Embiid out, that means it's Al Horford time. Al Horford hasn't been playing that great for the Philadelphia 76ers. So you're kind of feeling feeling good about going into this game. You know, maybe be down 2-1 to one in the season series if you win it. But nope, Al Horford owned the Celtics this past Thursday night the way that he owned the Philadelphia 76ers when he was playing for the for the Boston Celtics. And because of that, the 76ers win the season series which means you as of right now like i mentioned earlier you're now two and a half games up on the philadelphia 76ers so you have to be one game better than them for the rest of the season so technically right now if i know this is going to sound like stupid math and maybe i'm a little crazy for mentioning it right now you are two and a half games up on the philadelphia 76ers so you have about a game and a half to mess around with like If they catch up to you, you just always have to be ahead of the Philadelphia Philadelphia 76ers by one game. Because if you lose home court advantage to the Philadelphia 76ers due to a tiebreaker and you have to go and play in Philadelphia in the playoffs with Joel Embiid back and healthy, you're not going to win the series. I'm sorry. You're not. Maybe someone can tweet, you know, cold freezing takes, hot freezing takes, that that Twitter account. But you are not going to beat the Philadelphia 76ers in a seven-game playoff series, which, you know, it could be the first round if the Celtics are the four. I'm sorry, if the 76ers are the four and the Celtics are the five. You are not going to beat them. You're not. I'm sorry. They've, the Philadelphia 76ers won the season series, I think, for the first time in, like, what, since, was it 2013? I think it was the last time that happened and they have a lot more talent they're built for the playoffs, I go on and on so maybe, I think the next time that they play them is February 1st Saturday night at TD Garden, thankfully it's not the second night of a back-to-back so just beat them once get back in their heads a little bit because right now the Philadelphia 76ers own the Celtics they really and truly do, so it's just really not ideal, but you're two and a half games up. Keep that pace up, and maybe you don't even have to play them at all. Maybe they'll have to play the Bucks or whoever whoever the case may be. That'd be great. What was great about this game to start was the even though the the Celtics came out a little shaky, you said, "All right, there's a lot of hoops left." You know, the first like four or five minutes, you're like, "Okay, guys, some shots will fall eventually." let's try not and have a bad of the first quarter as you did against the Spurs and the wizard. And they didn't. And it was great. Kemba went off. He scored 13 points. Celtics were up nine at the end of the first quarter. You were feeling good. Ben Simmons. I will say this though, as great as the Celtics played in the first quarter, I think they dropped 30. I think the, what was it? 35 to 26 at the end of the first quarter. If I remember right, Ben Simmons is so good in transition. It's like, Everything I want, like, Jalen and Jason to be, I understand Ben Simmons is bigger, stronger than both Jalen and Jason Tatum, but if Tatum and Brown can go in to transition basketball that fast and finish that well, I'm telling you, they could be so much better than what they already are right now. Ben Simmons is absolutely incredible in transition. And it was, I hate to say it was, like, fun to watch, but, like, I understand he's a coward for not taking jump shots, but if you're that good in transition, just try and get as many steals as you can and run, 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 run. And they do it pretty well. But the Celtics' half-court defense, even though their transition defense sucked in this game, their half-court defense was great in the first half. So much better than the last two games. They had good switching, good double teams. They what, And what I mean by that, they made good choices about when to double team because I feel like sometimes Daniel Tice or... If Daniel Tice switches with Smart or Kemba and then one of those guys is kind of near the post, Daniel Tice does a really good job coming down and throwing up his hands, double-teaming it, but sometimes the rotations aren't there to make sure that if teams kick it out and then swing it back around, there are some open shots. So I feel like they made good decisions on when and when not to double-team. So I enjoyed that. They had good recoveries because of it. The Celtics got their lead up to 15 points in the second quarter so you're feeling pretty sexy about it they're like 15 point lead on the road you've played a lot of games lately they don't have Joel Embiid you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing but then of course they can't keep their foot on the pedal can't keep their foot on their necks and they allow the 76ers to go on a 12-0 run during the end of the second quarter Kemba went out with a sprained thumb maybe like a, a jammed thumb he went back to the locker room. That obviously didn't help. I'm sure the teammates were concerned about him. And you were you were also saying to yourself, hospital Celtics, classic hospital Celtics. But a couple hoops towards the end of the first quarter. Celtics were still up, I think, like seven. Was it six? Was it seven? They still had a reasonable lead heading into halftime. So you're like, all right, seven-point lead. They've been playing well coming out of the third quarter, out of the gate we got this. You're feeling good. You really are. A lot better than what you were feeling against the San Antonio Spurs. And then the Philadelphia 76ers came out and went on an 11-0 run. Unbelievable. Sorry about that. You cannot come out against the Philadelphia 76ers and allow them to go on an 11-0 run at home when they're down 7. And guess what got the Celtics back in the lead by the end of the third quarter? I think they were up three at the end of the third quarter, three or four points. It was Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart's three-point shooting, once again, got the Celtics back into the lead. Absolutely incredible. But was what was more incredible than anything, the Boston Celtics let Josh Richardson and Al Horford dominate them. They got dominated on the boards. They got dominated on fast break points. They got dominated by James, uh, Josh Richardson. They got dominated by Al Horford. Simmons gets his. Harris was bad for them. Tatum was bad. Jalen Brown were bad. Hayward wasn't great either. And I just don't understand why Hayward, Brown, and Tatum can't show up in bigger moments and why it's always Kemba, 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 Kemba. If it's Kemba, 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 Hayward, Brown, Tatum, great. But it just can't be Kemba, 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 Kemba. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, your three wings, they shoot... 10 of 36, if I remember correctly, they only had 29 points. And you can't, and if Marcus Smart had a bad game, we would have lost by 30. Absolutely would have lost by 30. We need at least 50 points a game combined between hate, hate <laughs> Hayward, Brown, and Tatum. At least each game. We can't have the three of them under 30 points. We can't. That is absolutely ridiculous. And it makes me think... Is it time to make some lineup changes? Is having three wings out there working for the Celtics, or is it hurting them? You know, if you look at their efficiency and net rating and point differential, you're like, no, keep the lineup the way that it is. But if you look at the record of this starting five together, you say, oh, maybe it's like not working. But what do you do? Do you move Jalen Brown to the bench? So it's Brown, Smart, Cantor, Grant Williams, and Brad Wanamaker coming off the bench, and then your starting lineup is... Shemmy, Kemba, Tatum, Brown. I mean, I'm sorry. Shemmy, Hayward, Tatum, and who else am I forgetting? Oh, Tice. So, is sorry, folks. I am all over the place because it's been a tough week for me, like watching the Celtics team. I know I'm probably overreacting, but I am just wildly concerned. And I, sure, they looked great against the Pelicans. We'll talk about that in a second. But I'm starting to think is it. Is it time to do a little bit of a lineup change? Am I crazy to think that? But I, my only issue with whether you bring... I have so many thoughts. <laughs> so do you bring Hayward off the bench? Is Hayward ready to come off the bench? I feel like Hayward and Brad have a great relationship. Can Brad approach Hayward about coming off the bench? But Hayward's also in a contract year. So that ain't going to make him feel good. And then we could go down a dark road with that. I don't know how I feel about that. Obviously Jason Tatum's starting, obviously Tice is starting, and obviously Kemba's starting. So you like Marcus Smart's energy off the bench. I love it. He's accepted that role. And then my concern with Jalen is I feel like Jalen likes to start. Where we all know at the end of the day, the their final five will be Smart, Kemba, Tatum, Hayward, excuse me, and Brown. That will be their final five, unless that they're playing a bigger team, and then you take out you know, maybe take out Hayward and put in ties or Cantor, whatever the case may be. But, my whole thing is is Jalen Brown needs to start. I think, like, mentally, he needs to start. I feel like if he doesn't start, he like then gets in his own head that he has to produce more coming off the bench. And that scares me a little bit, because Jalen has been playing fantastic basketball this year, minus this past week, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But, I don't. Is it time to make starting lineup changes? Are we overreacting? Like teams go through, you know, these little slumps oh, through these little speed bumps during the NBA season. You know, their next few games are against teams with losing records. I think, if I remember correctly, I think they have ten more games left in the month of January, and two of them are against teams with winning records. So it's a good time to start playing some good basketball. Start feeling good about yourself because February does not look promising for this team because of the amount of really, really good playoff teams that they are playing in February. And they have only four four or five home games. And then they have, oh God, I think they have like seven road games. So it ain't going to get any easier for the Boston Celtics. But speaking of easy, let's talk about the nice, easy win. Hooray, some good news finally. They won a game against New Orleans Pelicans, 140-105. to 105. They absolutely blew him out from the start of the game, and it was all because Jason Tatum was aggressive early. He was attacking the basket. Actually, to be honest with you, everyone was attacking the basket, and it was great. Jason Tatum was making layups early, and he had an absolutely incredible game. 16 of 22 from the field, 6 of 9 from 3, 3 of 3 from the line, 6 boards, 4 assists, 3 steals. And as much as you know, we're all happy that Jason Tatum scored over 40 points for the first time, the fact that i think his biggest like leap this season is his defense his defense has been incredible sure you could say hey he's gotten he's averaging like 2 steals a game and he got 3 steals in this game but i just think he's in the right place at the right time he's seeing the floor better defensively and i'd love to see that and i know everyone's focused on the 41 point performance and he's the first celtics player in celtics history to shoot at least 72 percent with more than 40 points so congratulations jason tatum jason tatum is very good at basketball jason tatum had an unbelievable game it was great to be there I'm going to save the ticket stub. I'm going to remember where I was when this 21-year-old kid, or maybe he's 22 now, this 21, 20, 22-year-old kid scored over 40 points on a Saturday night at TD Garden and literally shot 22 times and only missed six of them. It was really fun to watch. It really and truly was. Gordon Hayward, it looked like he broke out of his slump again. He played very well. Jalen Brown didn't, like, at all, so that was a little scary. Kemba played well, you know. Not as well as Tatum did, obviously, but he played well. But let's not forget about Ennis Cantor. Ennis Cantor in this Pelicans game had 22 points and 19 rebounds. He has been playing so well lately. He didn't play that great in the Spurs game, but I feel like he's really and truly fitting into his role. Come off the bench, bang some bodies, get some boards, catch the ball on the post when we need it, and get some easy buckets. He has some really old school. NBA 70s, 80s post moves with, you know, his footwork the way he spins off his defender like in the post, it is really good and because of that, let's do a very long and extended, but well deserved, canter banter, let's go he's a man who loves to get a double double, but when it comes to the Turkish government, he's in a lot of trouble, it's time for canter banter baby, wow So the Celtics looked really good in this game against the Pelicans. They really did. It was everything that, you know, showed their 25 and what was it? 25. And what are they? 26 and 11. Is that what they are now? I don't know. It's 25 and 10, 26 and 11. It's something like that. Anyways, the Celtics looked really, really good in this game. Can that continue going into the upcoming week? Because like I mentioned in January, they got 10 games left. Two of them are against winning teams. And, you look at who they're playing. Like They play the Bulls this week. They play the Pistons. They play the Suns. Not great teams. They also play the Memphis Grizzlies. As of right now, the Memphis Grizzlies are a playoff team. But guess what? They have a losing record. They play the New Orleans Pelicans. Again, let's blow them out of the water. They play the Warriors. They're not that great. Orlando Magic, pretty good team. But again, losing record. I believe they're currently the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. So they have to finish January out strong. Because February ain't looking very pretty. They play the 76ers. Then they play the Magic again, who are also in the playoffs. They also play the Thunder, who are playing some unreal basketball. The Rockets, they play them twice on the road and at home. They play the Philadelphia, I mean, um, the Los Angeles Clippers on, no, at TD Garden on uh, the day before Valentine's Day, which is actually their last game before the All Star break. And then they play the Lakers, Trailblazers, and Jazz on the road. And ever since, the Jazz got Jordan Clarkson. I don't think they've lost the game. When they made that trade with the Cavs to get Jordan Clarkson, I'm pretty sure they're nine and zero, something along those lines. I've been keeping my—I like to keep my eye on other stuff than the Boston Celtics going on in the NBA, so I can give you these great previews for the upcoming week. But the Celtics have three game, uh, four games this week: three home games, one road game. Play the Bulls at 7:30 at TD Garden tonight. If you're listening on Monday, which hopefully you are, because that's when I release it, and I know you're just all eager to be watching this podcast watching this podcast listen to this podcast and then they play the pistons and the phoenix suns at 7 p.m on wednesday and saturday at td garden this upcoming saturday is my birthday so uh if you're in the area and you'd like to buy me a birthday drink bring it up to section 315 row 15 that'd be greatly appreciated anyways uh their one road game this week is, of course, against the Milwaukee Bucks in the second night of a back-to-back because the NBA was just like, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have the Celtics play all their really hard games against teams that they need to beat in the Eastern Conference on the second nights of back-to-backs. That'd be great. Right? I mean, excuse me. If you look at the Celtics' like back-to-backs for the rest of the season – you know, they, uh, let's see their next one is they play the Portland trailblazers on February 25th. And then they go to Utah the night after. And then the following week they play the Brooklyn nets. And then luckily the Cleveland Cavaliers. And at that point, hopefully they don't have Trishan Thompson or Kevin love. And then they play the Milwaukee bucks in March on the first night of a back to back. And then they have another game after that against the wizards. And then, There's a weekend in March, two road games, one against the Raptors, one against the Nets. So that's an ideal. And then their last one of the season could actually be a really important game. Holy crap. Right now, the last weekend, the last full weekend of the NBA in April before the playoffs start, they play the Orlando Magic, could be fighting for the playoff spot. And then the Miami Heat, both on the road. And that could be for like the two seed, three seed, the four seed. So that's very interesting. I didn't realize that until now. So I'm gonna keep my eye out on that. Anyways, the Bulls have a losing record. The Pistons have a losing record. The Suns have a losing record. The Celtics have already beat the Bulls, Pistons, Bucks, and Suns. So you know there's some positivity for you after this shitty week the Celtics had. But in my opinion, this week is all about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. It really and truly is. This team goes three and one, four and zero this week because of those how. Those two play. They both play better against bad teams, and they are playing three bad teams. If you, I'm going to talk about that very shortly, about how they play better against bad teams versus good teams, especially Jason Tatum. It is pretty uncomfortable how much better Jason Tatum plays well against bad teams and how poorly he plays against good teams. And you could be like, oh, wow, what a shock. A good player plays against a bad team. Yeah, but that good player should also be playing well against good teams if he's that good. Anyways, how can the Celtics win the game against the Chicago Bulls tonight at 730 at TD Garden? They didn't have Kemba the last time they played because Kemba was out with that illness. Remember, these guys only played Chicago Bulls, what, about about a week ago? Yeah, I think it was Saturday, January 4th. So, yeah, less than 10 days ago. And Tatum was good in this game. Gordon was good in this game. They each had over 20 points. They have to control the boards. Wendell Carter is out for the Bulls, I think, for the next four, five, maybe even six weeks. The last time these two teams played, he had 14 rebounds. The Bulls' starters, minus Wendell Carter, had a combined 16 rebounds. So that's basically, for simple math, that's an average of four rebounds per person for their starting lineup. And then Wendell Carter had 14. So he's not going to be playing this game. So the Celtics should dominate the boards. Play a full 48 minutes, guys, or play a full 36 and be up 30 and then not have to play in the fourth quarter for the starters. The Celtics had a terrible first minute of the first, and they also had a terrible first six minutes of the fourth, which is why the Bulls were able to kind of get back into this game, and that game was a lot closer than it should be. Everything was great, which is why they had a huge lead going into the fourth quarter. This shouldn't have been a game. It should have been over in the third quarter. They ha- And... They obviously didn't do it. They didn't keep their gas on the their foot on the pedal, and it was frustrating. You know, Jason Tatum had to hit that ridiculous shot over Chris Dunn. You know, that step back, seventy-eight dribble. The fact that it went in was insane. If it missed it, it could have been a completely different ball game. But one thing that was really frustrated, uh, that I was really frustrated about with. This Bulls game is the fact that the Celtics turned the ball over 19 times. The Bulls are a good defensive team. They can't come up with steals. Chris Dunn's a great defender. Zach Levine is a pretty good defender as well. They're very athletic. They're kind of like the Celtics. Their hands are always in passing lanes. So just don't have 19 turnovers. Take care of the ball. Rebound well. And you should be winning this game. If I remember correctly... The Bulls have lost seven out of their last eight games or six out of their last seven games. It's something like that. They beat the Detroit Pistons the other night, but before that game, I think they lost six games in a row, which is pretty crazy. The other thing that the Celtics need to do in this game, win the three-point battle. The Bulls are not a very good three-point shooting team. Now, does that mean you have to jack up 43s in one night and hope it works? No, no, not at all. Take 25, make 10 or 12 of them. Don't turn the ball over. Rebound the ball well. And it should be a nice, easy win for the Boston Celtics tonight at TD Garden. Then we have the Pistons coming to town. And I'm sure everyone's going to be super excited because Andre Drummond's going to be there. And if Gordon Hayward plays bad, everyone's going to be like, we got to get rid of Gordon Hayward and trade for Andre Drummond. Blah, 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 blah. It's not going to happen, folks. Get over it. The Detroit Pistons might not have Marquise Morris. They might not have Luke Kennard. They might not have Blake Griffin. I will. I'll put it this way. They definitely won't have Blake Griffin. And they might not have Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson could be back from his spine injury. He's been playing a day here, a day there, a night off here, a night off there. So i will be interested to see if Reggie Jackson and Markeith Morris play for them. But most likely Luke Kennard and Blake Griffin will not be playing for them. Of course, you have to control Drummond on the boards. Of course, if Drummond goes off, like I said... Everyone is going to be like, oh, my God, we need to have him, and Gordon Hayward, we got to get rid of him, blah, blah, blah. Ugh. Remember, the last time the Celtics played the Detroit Pistons, Ennis Cantor had 18 rebounds, and Andre Drummond had 11. So take that home and chew it. Be physical with Andre Drummond. Wear him out. Make make him run up and down the floor. Cantor had some great plays in this game against Drummond, super physical against them. Obviously, Tice just gets manhandled by Drummond, as he should. It must be like a 25 to 30-pound difference. I think Drummond's like an inch or two taller than him, too, but whatever. But Cantor plays well again on the boards like he has. You know, I just gave you a 48-second Cantor banter. So let's get it going again for next week, because I know how much everyone loves Cantor banter. So the thing that really blew my mind the last time the Celtics and Pistons played against each other, which, God, when was that? Was that like the week before Christmas? Yeah, it was the week before Christmas. Was Andre Drummond had six steals in this game. He was very good when someone goes up and attacks the rim. Instead of blocking their shot, before they even get their shot up, he literally just rips the ball out of their hands. So take care of the ball when you're attacking the basket against him. Go up strong, protect the ball, and we'll be good. Make, Andre Drummond should be having six steals a game. If someone was like, oh, hey, Andre Drummond had six blocks, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But Andre Drummond has six steals. That shouldn't make sense at all. What hasn't made sense this year to me, because of all the injuries that he's had ever since he's won MVP, is Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose is still one of the best players off the bench in the NBA this year. It is, it's like Derrick Rose and Lou Williams. Like Derrick Rose, you could argue, could win six Man of the year. The last 10 games for Derrick Rose, he's been shooting over 15%. He drops 21 points and 5 assists off the bench. That's wildly impressive. Now, if you remember, this was the game where Kemba Walker scored 2 points. Grant Williams drops 18 points, and everyone was going nuts for Taco. So how about we change? Grant Williams has himself a good game. maybe like 10 points, 8 boards. That'd be ideal. And then Kemba goes off for 20. Tatum can play well. Hayward can play well, Brown can play well, and we're all happy. We're all saying, oh boy, now the Celtics have won three in a row. Let's see how they do against the best team in the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks. And of course, like I mentioned, it's on the second night of a back-to-back. They've had to play the 76ers, the Raptors, and the Bucks on second night of back-to-backs now. And the last time these two teams played, the Bucks owned the first half, and then the Celtics owned the second half. I talk about it all the time, but another reason why you got to play a full 48 minutes you can't let one team dominate in hopes that you can dominate the other one. Let's just play for a full 48 minutes so everyone is happy. Cool? Just a reminder, Jalen Brown didn't play in this game. I think it was, was it the day before Halloween? Yeah, it was Yeah, it was October 30th. It was their second home game. Jalen Brown didn't play in this game. I forget why. But obviously it's a positive to have Jalen Brown back, right? But remember, the Celtics have never lost when Jalen Brown's out of the lineup. Keep that in mind. Marcus Smart, can his hot shooting return from the 76ers game and the Spurs game? Would be nice. I mean, in the last game that these two teams played, he went 5 of 11 from 3. He had 6 assists and 0 turnovers. <laughs> I'll take that game any day of the week from Marcus Smart, especially against a really good Bucks team. Kemba has to own the game like he did again. Obviously Giannis is going to get him Get his and that's fine. But Kemba Walker went to the free throw line 15 times the last te- the last time these two teams played, with which was more than Giannis. And I don't know if Kemba's going to be getting those foul calls on the road. But if you can attack the rim and get to the line the way Kemba does, if you're Tatum or Brown, that'd be fantastic. It would absolutely be fantastic. And like I just said, Giannis is going to get his in this game. You can't worry about that. Chris Middleton loves playing the Celtics for whatever goddamn reason, so he's going to get his too, and that's fine. Middleton will probably drop like 27 points, Giannis will probably drop 30, and the Celtics are probably going to lose by 20. But with that being said, even though Giannis and Middleton are probably going to get there, the issue in this game is going to be the bench, because the Bucks are so deep can Grant Williams, and his canter Brad Wanamaker, and Marcus Smart step up against George Hill, Kyle Korver, Robin Lopez, Ersan Ilyasova, and Patrick Cunnington? Can they do that? You have to control them, and you have to limit them. Their bench, the last time these two teams played, scored 38 points, and your bench scored eight. And I understand because Jalen wasn't playing. That means no Marcus Smart was on the bench. Fine. I get that. But that is a huge difference. Huge, huge difference. Marcus Smart has to control George Hill. Kyle Korver has to, <clears throat> excuse me, Kyle Korver can't go off. Ilya Sova can't go off. I mean, Ilya Sova played pretty terrible in that game in October, but he's one of those guys that has beaten the Celtics before. And of course, we cannot let them get hot from three, which is why you won the game earlier this year. They went 14-45 from three. They are a much better three-point shooting team than that. And you have to try and do that again. Contest shots, good rotation recoveries, get in their face, put a hand up. And do I think the Celtics are going to win this game? If I'm going to be brutally honest with you, absolutely the fuck not. No shot. But if they do, that I'll be more than honored to say that I was wrong. But the Bucs are just playing unbelievable basketball lately. The, the Celtics have been great this year. I think we can all agree with that. But the Bucs are absolutely ridiculous. They they're playing at such a high level. I don't even think they've lost 10 games yet. Yeah, they're 35 and 6. They've won 8 out of their last 10. The, their point differential is 12.3. That means they're winning each game by a dozen points. They they're 18 and 2 at home. I mean, the Celtics are 15 and 3 at home, which is really good, but the Bucks are 18 and 2 at home. This is not going to be an easy game for the Celtics, which is why I hope they go 3-1 and one this week. Because Saturday night, January 18th, the day I was born, it will be my Reggie Lewis year. Rest in peace to Reggie Lewis. Love Reggie Lewis. Yeah, I think he's one of my favorite Celtics players of all time. But anyways, the Suns come to town. And all I want for my birthday is the Celtics win. You know, the Suns will be on their third game of their... Three-game road trip. They have to play the Hawks in the next, so not crazy competition. But the Celtics beat this team in mid-November on their five-game road trip, ninety-nine to eighty-five. It was actually the second night of a back-to-back after they lost to the Sacramento Kings when Marcus Smart missed that, uh, you know, floater at the buzzer, if you will. And you could say this game was one of their best defensive games of the season at the time. Their defense has slipped. I think we can all agree their defense has slipped a great deal. They're not the same. They're. They. I think they're now a tough. They're third or fourth in defense overall like their defensive rating when they were first going into 2020 so that's been really frustrating even though they won this game they started off very poorly they started off one of 10 from the field remember the spurs game where they started one from a lot one from nine from the field obviously the spurs are a better team than the suns but you can't be doing that again you you, you can't do it start better finish better play better in the middle which they'll be good Cool? Great. With that being said, the Suns do have two better players back on the court compared to the last time these teams played in November. DeAndre Hunt uh DeAndre Hunter. Ha ha ha. He plays for the Minnesota Timberwolves. DeAndre Ayton, he's back from a 25 game suspension. You know, I think it was like PED use. He's another body to worry about rebounding the ball minus Sarge and Baines. That means less time for Aaron Baines on the floor, which I'm perfectly content with because Aaron Baines has had a very nice year this year. And the way that Al Horford dominated, I do not need another former Celtics big man to dominate the Celtics because that will drive me nuts. And then also Ricky Rubio will be available. He wasn't available last time. He had like a last minute like back spasm, back issue. And he is averaging like 9.3 assists a game. The offense is clearly better when Ricky Rubio Rubio is on the floor for the Phoenix Suns. And, of course, you have to worry about Devin Booker. But I feel like with Giannis, Devin Booker is going to get his. Every game, Devin Booker is going to find a way. But they can't forget about Kelly Oubre Jr. Kelly Oubre Jr. is having himself a year. He's I I don't want to say he's having a breakout year because he's always been like, okay. I hated him when they played the Wizards because I thought he was better. He thought he was better than he actually was, but obviously he's improved a great deal. And he's almost dropping 20 points a game. So it's just not all about Devin Booker. If you're going to leave Kelly Oubre open, it's going to be a much more difficult game. But it shouldn't be a difficult game because the Celtics have a top four defense and the Spurs, I'm sorry, the Spurs, the Suns have a bottom five defense in the league. So get everyone involved, get the ball movement going. They don't like to play defense. Chew them up, eat them up alive. They're what's their record this year? They're 16 and 23. They allow more points per game than they score per game. They allow 114 points per game and they score 113. They're five and five in their last 10 games. They have won two in a row and we'll see how they act on this, uh, three game West coast road trip. So that's it. I think the Celtics could have a really good week, kind of get back in the swing of things and forget. And, you know, make me forget how bad they were last week. Cause That Pelicans game with no Reddick, no Drew Holiday, no Zion, no Derek Favors, like, it was a nice win. They looked good. They dominated the way that they should, but, like, wasn't anything impressive. Sure, Tatum dropping 41 was awesome, but, like, wasn't anything impressive. So, yeah, that's it. Oh, wait. We haven't done stud and dud of the week. Oh, boy. This is going to be a long podcast, folks. But, yeah, let's get into the stud and dud of the week at the music. And now it is is time. time. For the Celtics stud and the Celtics dud of the week. So the stud and dud of the week is probably going to surprise you. And the stud is going to be Kendrick Perkins versus Kevin Durant. Technically, I'm allowed to do the stud and of the week about non-Celtics players that used to be Celtics players because it's my own podcast, but Kevin Durant and Kendrick Perkins were on the Twitter machine over the weekend, and oh me, oh my, what an enjoyable time. They were talking so much shit to each other. Russell Westbrook goes back to Oklahoma City for the first time since he left to join The Houston Rockets. And Perk said that Russell Westbrook was the best player in Thunder history. And Kevin Durant didn't like it at all. Called him a champ, which, you know, I feel like is a shot. And then Perk called him out about his weak move going to play for the Warriors. And they just went back and forth. Oh, man, it was great. It was so much fun. Shout out to my buddy Dave. He wanted me to do an emergency banner banter podcast just about this whole situation. It was fantastic stuff you guys can probably google the whole conversation i'm not going to read tweet for tweet for you but oh man it was perfect kendrick perkins called him out kevin durant bit and then they went back and forth and the fact that those two guys used to be teammates together too oh man it was so like kevin durant was talking about um how perk only you know averaged like two points and three rebounds a game but like that was Perk's job, like, so it really wasn't a shot, but like, oh man, it was everything that makes the NBA great today. It really and truly is. But the duds of the week are fire and ice. That's right. I'm doing duds. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were the duds last week. The Celtics were not good this week because of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I've said it all year. If these don't, if these two don't take the next step, these, this team won't go very far. It's Kemba's great. Hayward, you know, will. Be fine, but if Jalen and Jason have bad nights, this team is going to look really bad. Jalen Brown this past week averaged twenty eight percent from the field, twenty nine percent from three. He had fourteen points and three turnovers on average, and he needs to get out of this shooting slump. He is in a really bad shooting slump, but I understand it happens. Especially a player like him. He's been playing really well. So the second you notice that something goes bad, you get really concerned. And I don't want to say I'm really concerned with Jalen Brown's play. But to shoot 28% from the field and 29% from three in one week is, makes me uncomfortable. Jason Tatum wasn't that much better. 36% from the field, but 15% from three. He shot 15% from three against the Wizards, the Spurs, The Pelicans and the 76ers. If he didn't shoot 6 of 9 from 3, I'm sorry. I didn't include the Pelicans game in this because it didn't really help my case. But before the Pelicans game against the Spurs, 76ers, and Wizards, he shot 15% from 3. And before I do go in on Jason Tatum, his defense and rebounding this week were good. 1,000%. They were very good. He played very well on that end of the floor, if you will. But Jason Tatum has to be good against good teams. He really does. Tatum was unreal versus the Nuggets at home. He was fantastic in that overtime loss against the Clippers. He's had some good game against the Raptors. I get all that. But his top 10 scoring outputs this year, 8 out of 10 of them have been against teams with losing records. And 16 out of his top 20 scoring outputs this season, the Celtics have only played like 36 games, so that's more than half. 16 of them have been against teams with losing records. That means he only has four games where he scored like more than 20 points against teams with winning records. That ain't going to help us in the playoffs. It's not. My issue with Jalen and Jason is they don't show up when you need them to show up. We We didn't need Jason Tatum to drop 41 points against the Pelicans. I'm glad he did. Don't get me wrong. It was great for him and great for his confidence. I need Jason Tatum to drop 25-plus points against the Bucs more than I need Jason Tatum to score 40-plus points against the Pelicans. Do you guys see what I'm saying? So your stud and dud of the week, your stud, Kendrick Perkins and Kevin Durant on Twitter, your duds, fire and ice, a.k.a. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And that's it for episode 64 of the Banner Branch podcast. It was a long one, but I, I had to I had to let go of all my energy, all my anger, so thanks for listening to me vent about the past week for the Boston Celtics. And hopefully next week we'll have a more positive and upbeat banner branch podcast. So thank you guys so much for listening. As always, uh, you can find me on the Twitter machine at banner branch 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at banner branch podcast. And like I said earlier, if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, don't forget to subscribe so you can get notified when I do drop the podcast and leave me a rating. If you can, that'd be great. Everyone have a great week. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk soon. Toodles and noodles. X's and O's. Bye bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. In history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.